Amen. Amen. Welcome to worship this morning. If you're thankful for the cross, say amen. Amen. I know I'm thankful for the cross and what Jesus did on that cross for us so many years ago. Well, we welcome you here at First Baptist Church Pineville where we do life together. And if you're a guest this morning, a first-time guest, we ask that at the end of the service you take your blue communication card and you meet our pastor, um, Brother Stewart, at the back of the sanctuary back here. And um, he has a gift for you, his book that he wrote, and he would love to give that to you. And we are grateful that you're here this morning. If you have prayer needs or concerns, Write those on your blue card, and we'll we'll um, collect those at the end of the service. Pray. Um, sorry, I've messed up a little bit here. I got one thing that I want to say that I had not planned um, that I normally don't do. We had state Bible drill here yesterday, and y'all, it was amazing to see this gym full of elementary age kids and high school students that have participated this year in Bible drill, and it was amazing to see and to watch and to be a part of. And we have several of our very own students that um, participated in that as well. And so if I call your name, I want you to stand and I want us to give them a big um, round of applause because they have worked really hard this year. Um, one of our students had a perfect score yesterday, did not miss any at all, came forward on everyone. And when she was called on, she knew the answer to every single one. And that is Carly Stancil. We had other participants, other state winners, Lily Peavy, Carly Stancil, and Kenan Rashto. And then a, one that participated is Abigail Gore. And so we are so thankful that we have a program here with Bible Drill that is instilling and putting the Word of God in their hearts so that they can recall that in, uh, in other times. Pray with me, please. God, we thank you for worship this morning. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for what you did on that cross for us so many years ago. And that God, today, we have the freedom to share what you did. To share with others how you died on the cross for our sins to, to forgive us and to set us free, Father. And I'm so thankful that you did that for me. God, we pray now that as we continue to worship you this morning that your Holy, Holy Spirit and your presence would be here in this place and that we would listen to what it is you have to say to us this morning. Keep us free of distraction so that we may meet with you here this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Aren't you glad that we have Jesus in our lives and we can trust him for everything? Let's stand and sing that hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to go the same.
need him every hour of every day. Confess that need to the Lord this morning. I need thee every hour. Just sing it to the Lord.
thank you for your presence here in this place today. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare your eye-living hope. Your presence. I taste it and see of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord. Holy Spirit you are Your glory 
Lord, we're thankful that your Holy Spirit is evident in this place, this hour, as we worship you. And we also confess, Lord, that we need you every hour. Now, Lord, as we come to this time in the service, a time of worship with our tithes and offerings, we ask your blessings on this time together as we share of what you've given to us, a portion thereof. We ask that you bless the gift and the giver, that it be used to magnify and glorify your kingdom here on earth. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.
Good. The music's good, but the pants are even better. <laughs> That's a new thing Caleb told me that the high school students are wearing those uh, jazzy pants to prom and stuff, so that's pretty cool. The, the ministerial staff's thinking about getting some. <clears throat> no. <laughs> uh, glad you all braved the weather today, and our early service was a little low, too, because of the weather. Um, no one braved it quite like I did. My car um, is flooded out, uh, getting picked up probably right now by uh, Al Perkins after the morning service. I ran into some deep water on the way in early this morning and uh, had to have a little bit different way here. So uh, uh, just your pastor's here. That's commitment. That's what it is. If you'll turn in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. As we consider today's message entitled, Making Work Work. Uh, a 2014 Gallup study indicated that only 40% of Americans clock the standard 40-hour work week. In fact, uh, 50% say they work more than that. And the average for most Americans is about 46.7 hours. And those that are salaried employees are more likely around 49 plus hours a week, probably because their employers don't have to pay overtime. Suffice it to say, though, work is a huge part of our lives. It even consumes the best years of our life. And so since we invest so much in our work life, we need to make sure that we're making work work and that we're blessed in our work and that we enjoy our work and that our work is fulfilling and that we aren't burdened and miserable in it. Now, you might ask, are we supposed to be happy every day at work? Is that what we're going to learn today? No, of course not. You're not going to be happy every day at work. We all have days where we don't necessarily like our job. We even have seasons like that. Maybe it's a, a very stressful season or maybe it's a time of some difficult transitions going on or, or maybe other life situations outside of work are causing work now to be a burden where it used to be a blessing. A lot of things can impact our satisfaction at work, but whatever the case may be, those days and seasons happen and in the midst of it in general, we need to learn to make work work. So how do we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul helps us know how to do that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And in these five short verses, Paul offers them some key insights that we can apply to both employers and employees, no matter what situation we're in. Now, if you have titles in your Bible like I do, you'll see that this section is entitled something like Slaves and Masters. And you'll say, well, we don't have any slaves and masters here, and certainly employees aren't slaves, though they may feel like it sometimes, and masters aren't, uh, or, and employers aren't masters, though they may act like it sometimes. So what does this really have to do with us? Well, we're going to make some applications that were for slaves that apply to employees now, and that were for masters then, but are for employers today. You might also ask as we enter this section and say, well, why does even Paul take time to talk about slaves and masters and how to relate in that situation? Why doesn't he say something to debunk and get rid of the whole slavery issue himself? Why didn't he take his platform to do that? Well, frankly, because 
his voice would not have been heard. Slavery, in spite of all of its evils, was a universally accepted institution in ancient times. And in the Roman Empire, uh, more than half of the people seen on the streets of the major cities at any one time would have been slaves. There were some six million slaves in the Roman Empire from all races and backgrounds. So instead of dealing with the need to overthrow the institution of slavery, Paul gives practical but radical principles for dealing with real life situation that his people were living in. In the early church, there were both slaves and masters and they needed to know how to deal with this relationship and how it impacted and worked out according to their Christian faith. Now, eventually, the values that Paul taught here and elsewhere and other New Testament writers taught would be used to overthrow the institution of slavery. In fact, wherever the gospel goes, freedom advances. Since chapter 5, verse 21, Paul has been talking about these household relationships. He talked about wives and husbands. He's talked about children and parents. Now he's talking about slaves and masters and helping these people to know how their relationships are supposed to play out according to their Christian faith. And so we're going to take the principles that he gives and apply them to the employee-employer relationship. And we're going to talk first about the employees. And for the employee... The thing to keep in mind is to obey your employer. Look at verses 5 through 8 where he addresses slaves, and we're going to take that as employees. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Now, if you're like me, when you start reading this passage and you come across that word obey, you may find a problem with it. You may find pause. And I did that in my study as I was looking at this text and I thought, obey, I don't like that word. I wanted to change it to something else for application. I wanted this point to be something like uh, serve your employer or respect your employer or work hard for your employer, something, anything other than obey. But I kept coming back to obey because that's what the Bible says. I think we have trouble with the word obey because it's, we think of the parent-child relationship. And, you know, we want to say, my boss is not my parent. I don't want to obey them in that way. And and I would agree, but the Greek word that's used here for obeying your employer or your master is this same word that's used for the children obeying their parents. And so we need to go with the word obey. And if you think about it, obey is the right word because obeying your employer is much like obeying your parents and it's much like obeying the Lord himself. When you obey, obedience brings blessings, disobedience brings curses. So the same thing applies in our work life. So how can you effectively obey your employer? Well, as Paul develops this a little bit, he gives us some ways to do that. First is work with the right attitude. Notice he says, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. You might underline those words, uh, respect and fear and sincerity. 
We see that to have the right attitude with our work, that we need to have this respect and fear for our employer. Now, again, as I began to study, I understood respect. I get that. We get that. But I didn't understand what Paul was getting at when he said fear. Certainly, you should respect your employer, but you should fear them. And surely we aren't to cower before our employer. And I don't think Paul was thinking that these slaves should cower before their masters because he's talking about people within the church generally. So maybe a godly Christian slave wouldn't cower to a godly Christian master. So what's going on here? Well, I discovered that fear reminds us that the master held the slave's life in his hands. Since a slave was a master's property, that master held that slave's life in his hand. Even a good godly Christian master held the life of his good godly Christian slave in his hands. The slave's daily sustenance depended on his master. And if you think about it, that's not all that far from how we are in our relationship to our employers. Your employer holds your life in their hands. Just get a pink slip tomorrow and you'll find out how much so, right? You are dependent upon them. And so therefore you should work with an attitude of respect and fear just a little bit. And such an attitude would cause you to do two things, I think, and, and two things to be true about you. The first is that you'll have a gratitude for your job. You'll have gratitude for your job if you have the right attitude. No matter what you're doing, whether you love it or not, whether you're paid enough or not, whether they appreciate you or not, you will have gratitude for your job because it provides for your daily sustenance. If you didn't have it, you'd be in a world of hurt. Second, if you have this respect and fear, this right attitude, then you're going to grant your employer the respect they deserve. Whether you have a godly boss or not, whether they deserve, they deserve your respect or not. You'll give them what they deserve. Before being called to be a pastor myself, uh, I worked in other positions in three other churches. And I always say that I served alongside two pastors and I worked under one pastor. Um, the last year or so of working under that one pastor was absolutely miserable. And I was glad when I was to call to another place. But I never said anything to a church member about what was going on and what the pastor was doing or how he did things sometimes. Um, I can remember being on the phone with a lady one time and she was just running the pastor down the river. And as I listened to her, my head was nodding yes, but my mouth was saying, oh no, that's not how it is. He... <laughs> tried to stay respectful. I tried to show that fear. The day I resigned, two deacons came into my office, closed the door, and they said, Stuart, what do we need to do to keep you here, including getting rid of him, and pointed towards the pastor's office. And I said, guys, this church has a pastor, and I have a new calling. And that was, that was it. I tried to remain the, that right attitude with the church until I was gone as hard as that was. And I still try to do that. I'll tell you in a private conversation who it was, but since this is being recorded, I'm not going to tell you what church it was or where it was or which of the three churches it was. Have an attitude of respect and fear for your employer. 
The right attitude also involves sincerity. The word that's translated sincerity there can also be translated generosity. And I found that interesting that uh, if you obey with generosity, you kind of get the idea of sincerity. Uh, When you look at the word usage in the New Testament, you see that that word is translated generosity or sincerity about half and half. And so, you know, you see, if you work with generosity, you're working with sincerity. It's a reminder that this is really a heart issue. What's going on right here in terms of your relationship with your job and with your employer? And that doesn't matter whether you're serving food at McDonald's or whether you're an executive at Clico. Your heart has to be in the right place. Even if it's not your forever job, even if it's just a stopping point along your way to get to the next level, you've got to have your heart right. Even if your boss is an absolute jerk, your heart has to be right. Now, not loving your job makes it harder to have the right heart, but that just means you have to do a little extra to have the right heart as a believer. So how can you have a sincere heart and a generous attitude. I think the key is in that next phrase, just as you would obey Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you're not working for the manager of that McDonald's. You're not working for the CEO of the corporation. You're not working for the owner of that business. You are working for Jesus Christ. Satan himself could be the CEO of that business, but you are still working for Jesus Christ. And as I told the early service, you might want to get your resume out, though, if, you're, if your boss really is Satan. But consider these two scriptures, also from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, Operate on someone, flip a hamburger, represent someone in court, teach in a classroom, manage an office, handle people's money, sell product, whatever you do, if you are a believer, you do it for Jesus Christ and you do it for the glory of God. So if that's your attitude, then are you going to roll your eyes about your job? No. Will you make snide remarks to other coworkers? No. Are you going to talk about your boss behind their back to other coworkers? No. Will you post ugly things on social media? No. Will you be flexible and deal with change? Yes. Will you work hard without griping? Yes. Will you do your absolute best for the glory of Jesus? Yes. The right attitude makes a world of difference. If, if Paul was expecting slaves who were serving against their will, or some, some of them may have been with their own will, but they're subs- they've, they've given themselves to slavery to someone else. If he can expect slaves to have this kind of attitude, then surely those of us who are gainfully employed at our own will could have these same kind of attitudes as well. How can any of us give less than our best when the reputation of Jesus Christ is at stake? So not only should you work, though, with the right attitude, you should also work with integrity. Look at verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Integrity has been defined as uh, what you do when no one is looking. We're to work hard for our employers, whether they are watching us or 
not. Now again, that's a heart issue. Did you notice that you're supposed to do the will of God from your heart? If your heart is rotten, then your work's going to be rotten. But if your heart's right, then your work's going to be right. How can you work with integrity? Well, I actually brainstormed uh, some of these points this week with my assistant. And we came up with these kind of things. Record accurate timesheets. Don't abuse perks like vacation and sick leave. Don't take advantage of your employer. Make your boss, company, or organization look good, even in the minor details. Give your full attention and energy to the job. Be accountable with finances. Be above reproach in relationships. Don't steal office supplies or equipment. Don't take shortcuts. Don't waste work time on the internet. And this one I, I threw in, don't take work time to do your quiet time. I think a lot of, you know, Christian, I'm serving the Lord. I get to work and spend the first 30 minutes doing my quiet time. No, do it at home. Or do it on your lunch break. Work time's work time. Serve the Lord by working hard. Go the extra mile. Don't stop it good enough. Make that extra tweak. Strive for excellence. Each day you should complete every task, no matter how minimal. And, if do, and you're doing it to represent the Lord. Because one day you will be doing it for the Lord. You will present that work to the Lord. You're going to have an accounting for your life. And so notice the third thing Paul says employees should do. And that, that reminds us that something else has come. And focus on the future reward. Verses 7 through 8. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. Whether he is slave or free. Your employer may never take note of your work. But God always does. Your employer may never reward you appropriately. They may not be able to reward you appropriately. But God will not fail to reward you. I know it's delayed gratification, but really, isn't an eternal heavenly reward better than a plaque you could get or a pot plant? You just dust plaques or pot plants die. So work for the heavenly paycheck. Look for what God has to give you. Jesus is your real boss anyway. Now, that's what employees are to do. What about employers? When we have both in our church, so it's kind of like that early church. Well, the employer, you are to treasure your employees. Look at verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. There's one verse, but it packs a big punch. Paul's instructions to masters would have been radical in his days because slaves had no rights. So for Paul to have the audacity to tell the masters that they owed their slaves anything was a big step. And so Paul sets out to make sure that a Christian master is taking care of his slaves. And the reason that he does this is because a Christian master and a Christian slave both serve their common master, Jesus Christ. And he's no respecter of persons, so each of them should carry out their responsibilities under the guidance of the Lord Jesus. So what are employers to do? Well, they're to treasure their employees. And how do you do that? Well, Paul offers several things for us to do. One is seek the best for your employees. Treat your slaves in the same way that you want them to treat you. If you expect your employees to do their best for you, then you should do your best for them. 
While your employee is supposed to help you be a success, your job as the boss is to help your employees to be a success. And so what are some ways, some practical ways that we can do that? Well, one is we provide a good working environment from the space that they have to work in to the culture. We also provide the tools necessary to succeed, equipment, supplies, etc. said earlier that one of the things I appreciated coming to this church was that the church actually provides my computer. It was an amazing thing, a wonderful thing, something I use every single day, but the church sees the need to provide that kind of tool and resources. Provide proper training. They can only do what they know how to do, so train them appropriately. Get to know them beyond their job, who they are as a person, who they are in their family, what's going on in their family. Take a moment to find out what's going on in their life. You may be meeting for a very important meeting, but a couple of your staff members are dealing with all kind of chaos in their personal life, maybe a a family member that's ill. And if you can't know that that's going on and gonna impact them, you need to get that fixed with your life. You, You keep certain things outside of work, but there are things that are gonna impact work no matter what. Look out for their well-being, socially, spiritually, physically, emotionally. They spend almost more waking hours with you than they do their own family. And so take care of them. Build them up in Christ by providing encouragement and support. Reward and praise them for a job well done, even the routine things that they're expected to do. You know, this past week was a Administrative Professionals Day on Wednesday. Well, as a, as a church staff, we took the ministry assistants out on Monday because several of us were going to be out on Wednesday. And so we honored them in that way. We weren't saying, hey, you've gone over and above. We were saying, we appreciate what you've done. We appreciate the everyday stuff that you do that helps us do our job. Several years ago, after uh, my assistant Melinda had been working with me for about a year, I decided that it needed to be more than a day. And so every day of the week, we do something for Melinda to say, thank you. Johnny Hunt says that a pastor's assistant is his MVP. And that is very much true. I remember what it was like before I had an assistant and it wasn't fun. And so I appreciate that. And I want to say thank you and to seek the best and to give the best. The truth, this truth of seek the best for your employees basically boils down to this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's basically applying that golden rule. At my last church, we were preparing to hire first ever part-time minister of music. Uh, we were a small church and kind of making steps to get a real staff. And uh, we had the opportunity to hire the um, minister of music who was, who was retiring from the largest church in our association. And uh, we were really excited about that. We were going to get the very best for our very first. And because we were doing that, I wanted us to do the very best we could to compensate him. He didn't need a lot, but he, we talked through what, what would be needed. And then um, I also wanted to take into account the fact that he was going to be driving 26 miles one way a couple of times a week just to come out to our little country church. And so I put a package together to present to the personnel committee. That, and I, I told them, I said, this, is, this may look a little higher than you might expect, but the reason is he's got experience, he's coming out, out here, and I'm taking into account the fact that he's driving out here. Well, one of the personnel committee members just was aghast, and she said, well, I drive an hour both ways every day to work, and my employer doesn't take that into account. Well, I was bold that day, and I just looked at her, and I said, don't you wish they would? 
And so we approved that package and we hired that uh, minister of music and we had uh, several great years together until I left and came here. Um, we have to, well, what would you want them to do for you? That's what you should do for them. When you seek the best for your employees, you create a win-win cycle where everyone is blessed. Next, you want to treat your employees fairly. This is kind of an application of where he says, do not threaten them and then there should be no favoritism. Uh, everyone needs to be treated fairly. And so what does that look like? Well, provide competitive compensation for your employees. Don't try for a deal. Really take care of them. Every year when we talk about compensation for our staff through the budget, I'm the advocate for everybody's package except my own. And, and I don't make the final decision, but I, I make a recommendation. And in my recommendation, I always seek the best for our church staff. And usually that's not all that I would like to give. Church budgets don't allow great, huge, wonderful increases. But there have been those times where I've been able to come back because the church was able to do something or something changed in the budget and there was some money to work with that I've been able to come back and say, you know what, we didn't do much for this person, this person, this person. We need to try to do that and we've made a change mid-year. Clearly state job roles and expectations. They can't perform well if they don't really know what they're supposed to do. Communicate upcoming changes in advance so employees can have a chance to adjust. Don't just kind of make the changes and move them out or change around them. Let them know what's going on. Provide honest evaluations where you identify both strengths and weaknesses in the employee's work. They, they can make corrections if they don't know the corrections they need to make and they need to know what they're doing well. And so honest evaluations are good, but conduct those evaluations in such a way that your employee can walk away saying, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my employer wants me to be the best me I can be. And the only reason they're pointing out something negative is because there's something that I can improve on and they're showing me how to do it. Also, don't treat anyone like a grunt. I don't care how low on the organizational chart they are, they need to be shown value and let them be gone and you'll find out just how much value they provide. And don't play favorites. That can always divide a workforce in a hurry. Treat your employees fairly. But finally for the employer, and I think this is the most important, submit yourself to Christ. That actually comes from the, a little bit in there where it says, do not threaten them since you know that he is both their master and yours in heaven. This is the most important and it goes all the way back through all of these relationships. Christian employers are to practice the lordship of Christ just as every one of these people that we've talked about within the household is to practice the lordship of Christ. We saw that wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church. Children obey their parents in the Lord. Servants are to obey their masters as they would obey Christ. And masters are to treat their servants as their master in heaven would have them to do. When you submit yourself to the Lord first, you have no problem submitting to others. But also, when you submit yourself to Christ first, then as a leader, you're better able to lead. If you're a boss here today, an employer, take note of this. Jesus taught that the way to be an effective leader is to be a servant. 
The person who is not under authority has no right to exercise authority. Hear that again. The person who is not under authority has no right to exercise authority. When you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, you open up a whole new dimension of leadership that the Lord can use in your business to create a business culture that is blessed and where your employees can truly excel. One of the guiding thoughts throughout each of these relationships, whether it's husband and wife or children and parents or slaves and masters, is this. The Christian should help those with whom they are in relationship grow closer to Jesus Christ. Husband and wife, help each other grow closer to Christ. Parents and children, help each other grow closer to Christ. Slave and master, employer and employee, help each other grow closer to Christ. So that's a good question to think about today. If you're an employee, is my employer closer to Christ because of the way I work and the way I live my life. If you're the employer, are my employees, are your employees closer to Jesus because of the way that you lead and the way that you take care of them and the way that you care for them? I know I'm definitely closer to Christ because of the people that I work with on our staff. And it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that we work at a church. Church work can be kind of ugly sometimes. We have a staff that lifts one another up and and I'm closer to the Lord because of these people that I get to serve with. You know, as I reflected back on these principles, I kind of went, you know, that's interesting. If employees and employers would follow these basic biblical principles, then there'd be no need for unions to make sure that workers' rights were maintained. There'd be no need for labor laws. There'd be no need for... A minimum wage for that matter. There'd be no need for all the problems that we see in work. There'd be fewer people being fired. There'd be fewer people hating their jobs. Families would be better provided for. Businesses would be more profitable. Be a completely different world if we just practiced biblical principles. Now we can't do much about the world out there, but we can do a lot about us and we can do a lot about the businesses that we lead and the businesses we work for. So let me put it in your court. As far as it depends upon you, whether you're an employee or an employer, make work work. Apply these principles, build your business, help your employer build their business by making sure that these godly principles are both demonstrated and have the ability to be blessed. Let's serve the Lord and make a difference by doing so. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning and God, we know that you have practical words for us. And Lord, sometimes we have messages that are very, very theological and doctrinal. Sometimes there are messages that are very applicable and uh, things that we can just walk away with and start practicing on Monday morning. And Lord, this is one of those messages where There are things that no doubt all of us heard, whether we're an employee or an employer, that we could apply to life right now. And so, God, I pray that we would take these truths and apply them to our lives. And, Lord, that it make a difference in our work week this coming week. Lord, I pray for others in this room that that need to hear from you in a special way today. I pray, Lord, that their hearts would be open and that they would be sensitive to what your Spirit is saying to them right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.